BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. November 1st, 2023, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. There are several redistricting and voting law challenges we have our eyes on. We'll tell you what's happening in Michigan, Arkansas, and Kansas. Mississippi's Democratic Party and voting rights groups are making the last push to get black voters to the polls. We'll talk to someone from Mississippi Votes about how they are changing strategies to mobilize black voters. After Bernice King calls out comedian Amy Schumer uh, for implying her father would support the bombing of Palestinians. It's also being called one of the world's largest displacement and humanitarian crises in history. Tonight, we'll discuss the decades-long conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Plus, New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, longtime professor at Morehouse, will join us to talk about building black wealth and how we must be changing our mindset. Plus, Isaac Hayes III talks about the crowdfunding for fan base. Plus, why was he kicked off of LinkedIn permanently? He'll break it down. And you know what? 
I'm trying not to address this, but I've been seeing all of these videos talking about you're not a real man if you're not paying 100% of the bills and oh, you are less of a man if you're paying 50-50. I think it's time for me to address this bull. See, I'm about to make me cuss. I'm trying not to. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin on the filter on Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fat, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. We've been telling y'all about how Republicans are doing everything they can to make it harder to vote. There are several cases across the country we have our eyes on this week. In Michigan, the federal trial will determine the legality of the state's two-year-old voting district maps. The outcome could upend Metro Detroit voting boundaries and cause a political scramble among incumbent lawmakers in 2024. A three-judge federal panel will hear arguments in Kalamazoo over whether the architects of the state House and Senate voting districts used in the November 2022 election diluted the black vote by drawing districts that stretched segments of the majority black city of Detroit into majority white suburbs. Now, today was the deadline for the Arkansas Secretary of State to submit and respond to a brief in the U.S. Supreme Court in the case challenging Arkansas's congressional map. At issue, the state's map uh, intentionally cracks black voters across multiple congressional districts to dilute their voting strength in violation of the U.S. and Arkansas constitutions for the U.S., the second uh, section two of the Voting Rights Act. The plaintiffs specifically allege that black voters in Pulaski County, home of Little Rock, were divided among three congressional districts rather than keeping the population in one district, the second congressional district, to discourage the incentive of the black voters of the areas to vote and to reduce the significance of their votes. Friday, the Kansas Supreme Court will hear arguments over whether a legal challenge against two voter suppression laws may proceed. The case claims the laws that criminalize individuals for giving voter assistance limit ballot collection, restrict advocacy organizations from helping voters impose a signature verification requirement and that violates the Kansas Constitution by unduly burdening Kansans and their right to vote. Let's talk about with my panel, Rob Bertillo. He hosts the People, Passion, Politics, News and Talk 1380, WALK out of Atlanta, Rebecca Carruthers, Vice President, Fair Election Center out of D.C. Bottom line here, uh, Rebecca, this is the type of stuff that we have seen from Republicans because it is all designed, it is all designed uh, to target and minimize the power of black people. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would say... Anywhere where there's a sizable black population in this country, we need to actually review some of those districts. Unless you are in a state which allows for a nonpartisan um, commission to draw legislative maps, 
Um, right now, our system with a very weakened um, VRA, Voting Rights Act, is uh, our system is under attack. And we specifically see Black communities targeted. We do see some Latino, some Hispanic communities targeted, but because Black folks have an outsized turnout that supports one particular party, we see that Black specific areas are very much aggressively targeted. And it's not just dealing with um, legislative seats, but it's also even dealing with census tracts, with, de with um, determining um, what resources get to certain areas. But I repeat, Black communities are under attack in this country. You know, Robert, um, you talk about, again, Kansas, Arkansas, and even in Michigan. In Michigan, the problem there was the voters there approved a ballot initiative establishing a commission to draw lines, but here's the problem. When you still have political folks in charge, they are going to try uh, to get their advantage. We saw in Ohio where they flat out, Republicans there, flat out just ignored the commission and said, we're going to do what's right for us. We have to understand. Remember, for the last 30 years or so, when Republicans have been trying to tell us that there's no such thing as voter suppression, the whole time they were doing voter suppression in the background. That's why they were telling you it didn't exist. And this is a perfect example of it, that they have been able to use the redistricting system uh, in order to gain unfair political advantage. When we talk about the, uh, Republicans over the course of the last 15 years or so, taking over uh, 26 houses of, uh, of houses of legislature across the country, controlling those state and local ballots, that means that in 2010 and 2020, they were able to increasingly draw these gerrymandered districts to either A, pack African American together, thereby limiting the number of representatives they should have within the Congress or also within um, the state legislative bodies, or be cracking those districts, taking a, a majority black district and cracking it directly down the middle and then splitting it in, let's say, two to four ways, diluting the vote power of those groups, therefore additionally depriving us of, uh, of seats in our elected bodies of representation. Understand. Republicans have not won the popular vote since 2004 in a national election. That's the only time they've won since 1988 in a national election. So in the last 35 years, they've won the popular vote a grand total of two times. They are not trying to be a majority party. The 51 Democratic senators versus the 49 Republican senators, the 51 Democratic senators represent about 41 million more people than those 49 Republican senators do. We see similar numbers in the House of Representatives. They know that they have to go vote for vote, they cannot win. Therefore, they have to play the referees. They have to change the lines. Uh, when the uh, courts were ruling on the North Carolina lines several years ago, they said those lines were drawn with laser-like precision in order to disenfranchise black voters. And this is not one of those sexy issues that sounds good on a T-shirt uh, or on a slogan or on a yard sign or something along those lines. But we need to understand this is the most important issue, because if they're able to change, uh, change your representation, then that means they can affect effectively nullify your vote. That means that we have to vote uh, vote in outsized numbers. We have to turn out at two to three uh, times to rate some other groups just to have the same representation because they are able to remove the number of people who represent our communities. And that goes down to the distribution of resources, the allocation of uh, educational resources, where they put hospitals at, et cetera. So we need to start taking these issues seriously, particularly on uh, before the next election cycle, because if they're allowed to do this again in 2030, uh, they might be a minority 
majority in this country come 2044, but they will still have an outsized level of power in our political system because they're able to draw the lines. We saw the exact same thing happen in South Africa toward the end of apartheid. We saw the same thing happen in Kosovo towards the, uh, the dissolution of the Balkans in the 1990s. This is how majority minority groups maintain power against the will of the people and, and seemingly democratic systems. Well, folks need to understand uh, here, Rebecca, again, what this does is this also limits power. Uh, and we're we say power, that means money. It means resources. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. Uh, and this is why the Republicans have been trying to get rid of Section 2. Uh, they weaken Section 4. This is why Clarence Thomas, uh, who does not have the interests of black people at heart, uh, wants to get rid of the Voting Rights Act completely. Without the Voting Rights Act, the Supreme Court would not have ruled in that favor in Alabama, in, uh, in Louisiana. Uh, and we're seeing the impact of this. And so what, 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 uh, what uh, Robert just laid out is political gerrymandering where the Supreme Court said, hey, we got, we got no fighting that it's up to the states. But racial gerrymandering, they still have to deal with the courts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to be clear. I don't want any party, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, controlling how these lines are drawn, because we need these lines to be drawn in a way that's in the best interest of our community. And the best way to do that is through having a commission that's nonpartisan, that's adopting maps that have to be adopted by that state. And just like what Robert was saying, there are many real-world impacts. I was just in Greensboro, North Carolina um, last Friday um, speaking and meeting with different groups who are currently um, suing in North Carolina because of the um, voting um, um, omnibus that got passed by the North Carolina legislature, which also is being kicked into the courts with redrawing those congressional seats. Um, so instead of having even remotely proportional congressional seats, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing people actually truly represented on both the federal level with congressional seats, but on the state level with um, state Senate and state House seats. And the real world implications, for example, we could look at um, in Georgia, when we look at public funding of HBCUs in Georgia, we see that Savannah State, we see that Albany State um, are among um, um, several um, universities that have been systematically underfunded by the state of Georgia. So we saw the Carlos uh, Moore law firm now step in and do a lawsuit to try to do something about that. We also saw that in Maryland, and it took a particular lawsuit in order to um, get uh, a better funding to these HBCUs. We're seeing these same issues even um, in Tennessee. And so we know and we can see where there's underfunding of resources that go into the black community that supports housing, that supports education, um, that um, even supports um, um, economic um, success in the black community. And so it becomes very important to make sure that we have actual representation because it's how we get dollars back home. We are all taxpayers. We are putting money into the system, but we're not proportionally getting money back and out of the system. The only way for that to happen is if we actually have representatives that are truly representing our interests. And, and this, and again, what Rebecca just laid out for the people, Robert, who are always yelling, oh, we ain't seeing this, we ain't seeing that because a lot of that has to do with who's not representing you. Exactly. And I, I tell people all the time, just think about it this way. Georgia is about to get another seat on the west side of Atlanta uh, because of the court decision regarding the electoral, or regarding the maps from 2020. Alabama, same thing. Florida, 
same thing. North Carolina, same thing. That's four seats already. It's a 217 to 212 majority for Republicans in the House of Representatives. That puts you right around 216. You take away George Santos' seat because he uh, may be expelled from Congress and replaced by a Democrat. You can get rid of Lauren Boebert's seat because she won that by about 600 votes in the last election. Boom, you have a Democratic majority, Speaker of the House, Hakeem Jeffries. Just like that. So it's not that these things don't matter. These things are crucially important because if you have a Speaker of the House, Hakeem Jeffries, well, that means that now H.R. 40 is going to not only pass, but there'll be pressure on the United States Senate to actually pass a version of to have a steady commission on reparations. That means that when we're talking about allocation of national resources, about whether or not the U.S. government, when they're putting R&D into uh, um, MIT, into uh, Stanford and other schools to do uh, research for DARPA, well, now that can be done at Jackson State and FAM State and Clark Land University. That means that when we're talking about where we're going to put military bases and then uh, and the military industrial complex and contracting, et cetera, that can happen in black communities as opposed to other communities because you have the actual representation needed in those committees to have push those things down. I got to sit down with the late uh, with Charlie Rangel years ago when he was chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. They explained just the power of having the gavel in those committees, the power of being able to set the agenda and to uh, set the items that come before those committees. The, the American system is not built on the flash of the uh, of the presidency. It's built on the bureaucracy of the House and of the Senate. And when they order to control those bureaucracies, you have to have control of, uh, of the vote. And that's why it's so important that we fight to maintain and actually expand the voting right to restore Section 4 and Section 5, to actually push forward legislation that will re uh, reform us to a 2024 uh, version of the Voting Rights Act that would actually cover the entire nation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. And not just the 16 districts envisioned in 1965. There's work to work to be done going forward, but we have to stop the ball from rolling backwards. And there are groups out there that are fighting every minute of every day to roll us back.
Indeed. Hold tight one second, folks. We come back from this break. We're going to talk about what's happening uh, in the Congo. A lot of energy focused on Israel and Gaza, but there is a huge humanitarian crisis happening uh, on the continent of Africa. We'll discuss that next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, folks. Uh, we should easily be over 1,000, 2,000 likes every single day, so please do so. Also, support us by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Send your check and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 200-37-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, or Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale, Roland at RolandSMartin.com. Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. We'll be right back. get wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. Are you trying to figure out how to earn more revenue in your business during these volatile times? Learn how to tap into the largest marketplace in the world through government contracting. Our next guest, Akia Hardnett, will be sharing how you can get wealthy through government contracting. We've got a young lady, government uh, assistance to government contracts. She literally was um, on government assistance when she came to us and in less than a year, she has been winning um, multiple government contracts and it has changed the trajectory of her family. That's right here, only on Black Star Network. I'm Dee Barnes and next on The Frequency, we talk to award-winning screenwriter and director Chanel Dupree about her film, You Think You've Grown, The Adultification of Young Black Girls. This is a conversation that all women can relate to. This woman was like, oh my God, you know, I, I went through this when I was a kid. She wore something, it was a maxi dress, but the way it fit on her body, this uh, female teacher that she looked too grown and spun her around in front of a male teacher and said, "What do you, do you think she looks grown, right? Oh, my God. So that's next time on The Frequency on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Joe Marie Payton, voice of Sugar Mama on Disney's Louder and Prouder Disney Plus. And I'm with Roland Martin on Unfiltered. Mississippi voters make up about two-thirds of the Democratic Party voting base in the state. Uh, Mississippi has the highest concentration of black voters anywhere in the country. Organizations are doing their best to mobilize voters for the upcoming election, especially for the gubernatorial race between incumbent Republican Tate Reeves and Democratic challenger Brandon Presley. Joining me from Jackson, Mississippi, is the Mississippi Votes Policy and Research Director, Hannah Williams. Hannah, glad to have you here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. 
Uh, give us a sense of, of, of what the strategy is. Uh, because uh, I was there on the ground both years uh, when um, Cindy Hyde-Smith, uh, was she was being targeted. Uh, and you have, and Mississippi had the opportunity to elect an African-American to the United States Senate. The first time, she, uh, he lost by 65,000 votes. And when we look at the numbers, you had more than 100,000 black folks who were eligible, but just who didn't vote. And so are, are y'all looking at that data and saying, okay, where are our weak points? And let's, let's shore up, let's go after those areas because that could make the difference this year. Absolutely. Mississippi Votes is a nonpartisan nonprofit. So our whole entire mission is to make sure that we're engaging Mississippians year round, whether there's an election or not, even though in Mississippi we always have an election. When we look at our data research, we basically pinpoint areas or counties that we feel are having issues at the polls, are not turning out the way they should be. Um, the young folks aren't engaged. People may not have enough information to feel like they can go to the polls and make an educated um, submission on their ballot. So we try to top to bottom, go throughout the entire state, have these community conversations, do a lot of uh, political education to make sure that people are prepared to go to the polls. What would you say are the areas that really need attention concentration? Um, it almost goes without saying that the Mississippi Delta is always a place that is going to need extra help, extra push, even though the community front-facingly seems to be super engaged, <laughs> they always turn out to elections. So for the, the people, just one second, for the people who are not from there, <laughs> when you say Mississippi Delta, what does that even mean? So the Mississippi Delta is that western border of the state that was like a really, it's like a really big agricultural community, really famous for its agricultural productions during slavery. It's a very high dense population of black people, very underfunded. Um, the schools are underfunded, the public schools, the universities in that area like Delta State and Mississippi Valley State are also experiencing not getting the type of money that they need. And so we have people in the Delta who may be registered to vote and are engaged and are educated about what's going on, but their polling place might not be a place that is convenient for them to go to because of how spread out. And so, and so I have a map up right now. I have a map up right now um, that, uh, that, that, that shows that. And so, uh, and, and so this, this right here uh, is, is the Mississippi Delta. So is it the, is it the, the, the pink area there uh, or is it the green area? It's the green area. Got it. And so, so what you're saying is there's that's a, that's a, that's a big concentration of black folks there who ordinarily are not turning out. Yes. So, so, and so what are y'all doing? Is it door to door? Is it media? So what exactly are you doing to turn black folks out in that area? We are heavily geotargeting that area in terms of media. We have digital advertisements. We have billboards for folks who may not have 
access to see a digital advertisement. We are door knocking, we're text banking, we're charging our students in those communities. We have fellowships um, where college students can get involved with our organization and we charge our students with going out into the community, having these conversations with folks. If there are churches or anybody that wants to collab with us, um, we pay folks to go pick people up and take them to the polls. Like whatever it takes, we try to eliminate all of the barriers um, from people actually going and showing up on election day. Questions from panel. Robert, you first. So on this point, uh, one of the issues that I've found, particularly when targeting young people, is helping them to connect the, the political issues as they exist right now uh, with their personal issues. What do you guys do to help connect with young people and help them understand the importance of the uh, the elections that are coming up? Well, one thing that we do um, outside of going to campuses and talking to people face to face is that all of our programming is completely designed by young people. Our policy agendas are designed by young people. We ask, we do polls, we have uh, focus groups, just regular conversations where we may stop people on the street or before they're going into the calf, before they go to class, wherever. If they are a young person, we want to know, well, what issues do you think um, you're facing right now? And then we always find a way to connect that conversation back to voting because most people don't connect those conversations back. There are a lot of issues that young people are aware of that they don't understand how that goes back to picking their governor or picking their legislator. Uh, Rebecca. First, thanks for being on the program tonight. So outside of preparation for election and perhaps voter registration, what other types of civic engagement do you all engage in, especially in the Delta area year round? Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, we do have um, a whole bunch of fellowships. We have three that are targeted to college students or college age folks. And then we have one that is for high school students where we take them and we basically teach them civics because our school system in Mississippi doesn't have civics anymore. Um, so they get a basics of like how the government actually works. And then they have they are charged with going out into the community, having those conversations, having conversations with their parents and also volunteering with us, coming out in the field, door knocking, um, really just learning what it takes to be an organizer, but also learning about civic engagement. And we also participate in the legislature every year. Our policy agenda is fully informed by the issues that young people want to see change in Mississippi, whether that's access to health care, a modernized voting system, um, just anything. Whatever they feel like is an issue right now, climate change, economic mobility, housing, we take on those issues and we try to either put policy out there that makes sense for us or we do our best to try to block harmful policies that will be detrimental to the people of Mississippi. Anthony, uh, go to my iPad here. Uh, this one of those laws we talk about was where more than 15 percent of black Mississippians uh, are permanently barred from voting. This goes back to the racist policy from the 1890 Constitutional Convention, which was called specifically to keep black folks from being elected. That means it's 130,000 people uh, in Mississippi, uh, 130,000 black voters who cannot vote. And so that is also what impacts uh, the, uh, the ability to win in Mississippi. Absolutely. We have a program designed for folks to help get their voting rights back as well. It's an online program. We go through the legislature. 
Um, we help people come bills, become bills of suffrage, and we try our best to work with our legislative partners and allies to push those applications through. Unfortunately, this year we submitted over 100 bills of suffrage and none were selected, which is absolutely historic for us. Um, so there's definitely like a organized push to try to keep folks out from participating in elections. But then there's also this thing going on in the Fifth Circuit where pretty much um, it has already been decided that keeping someone who has committed or has been convicted of one of these disenfranchising crimes away from voting is considered cruel and unusual punishment. But our attorney general has appealed it. So it's gone back to the Fifth Circuit. So we're hoping for an outcome that really helps the people who want to be involved in um, politics past whatever they've done in life. People have grown, people are older, and folks come to us every day asking how can they get involved in this process, if not for themselves, for them, for their children's sake. Uh, and before I go to Scott, uh, and again, look, one of the issues you're dealing with uh, is across the board when it comes to voter participation in Mississippi. Uh, this is 2020 presidential election. You see the average of the United States is 66.7%. Minnesota at the highest at 80%. I and mean, if you go down this list here, you keep going down. Uh, Mississippi is six from the bottom. Uh, and so you're talking about 60.2% uh, uh, of the folks in Mississippi vote. It, it was crazy to me. You're talking about a city, excuse me, a state that uh, that gets a significant amount of this money uh, from, from the federal government. So you got people in Mississippi who simply are not participating. And normally you see a higher turnout in the presidential election than anywhere else. Yes, it's been a challenge these last few years to get folks to turn out. Um, it's not something that we take lightly. Even though we have had some growth in a lot of different places, we would like to see growth all over the entirety of the state. I know over the summer when we had our um, primaries elections, it was one of the lowest statewide turnouts like we've had in like 40 years almost. So we're doing everything that we can. We're on the ground. We're pushing people really hard to turn out. We're trying to connect these issues to voting. And all we can really do is just hope that people keep their promises that they make to us and head to the polls. Um, indeed, indeed. Well, uh, Hannah, uh, first of all, uh, Scott, uh, Scott Bolden joins us, attorney out of D.C. Scott, what's your question uh, for Hannah Williams? Yeah, real quick, Hannah. I'm curious, you know, there's a lot of black apathy, many reasons why black folks don't vote. What's been the community response to you and your organization's efforts to uh, push voter turnout for the November 7th elections? Um, they've been pretty receptive. Uh, one of the major things that we do at Mississippi Votes that we value from our community is that we know that there are real world things that are happening to people. So we've come across people who want to vote or want to be interested in voting, but how am I going to feed my kid today? Or how am I going to mm -hmm. get to work? Or how am I going to do, you know, all of these other things that may come before thinking about even going to the polls. So as an organization, we try really, really, really hard to meet as many of those obstacles as people have to try to remove them out of the way. So once we're done having the conversation or once they realize, you know, like my kid can eat for the next week, we got school shoes, whatever, they'll come back to us and they'll say, okay, so what was it? What were you saying about Voting, when is election day? How do I check my voter registration? Mm -hmm. So that's what we try to do. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. We appreciate it, Hannah. 
Keep up the good work, and hopefully uh, we will see a much larger turnout in a few weeks. Thank you. Folks, we come back. Uh, we'll talk about uh, a, a number of issues. Uh, first of all, uh, of course, our Black and Missing. We'll also talk about what's happening in the Congo. Uh, Bernice King, uh, she checks Amy Schumer when it comes to what's happening in Israel uh, and God. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. We'll break it all down for you right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. An angry pro Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. About to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. Immigrants lured off Texas streets and shipped to places like Martha's Vineyard, 
and Washington, D.C. Believe it or not, we've seen it all before. You people in the North, you're so sympathetic to Black people, you take them. 60 years ago, they called it the reverse freedom rides. Back then, Southern governors shipped Black people North with the false promise of jobs and a better life. It's a part of a well-known playbook being brought back to life. So what's next? That's next on The Black Table, a conversation with Dr. Gerald Horn about this issue of the reverse freedom rides right here on the Black Star Network. This is Essence Atkins. This is the love king of R&B, Raheem Devon. It's me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you're watching. You're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Douglas has been missing from Palmdale, California since October 25th. The 15-year-old is 5 feet 11 inches tall, weighs 130 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about Jabari Douglas should call the L.A. County Sheriff's Department at 661-272-2412, 661-272-2412. Bernice King, the daughter of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., has called out comedian Amy Schumer for implying that her father would have supported Israel's actions in the Gaza Strip. On Twitter, Schumer posted this clip of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talking about Israel. Must see uh, that uh, Israel uh, must exist and has a right to exist and is one of the great outposts of democracy in the world. My Jewish brothers and sisters said to me amid anti-Semitism anywhere, we don't need your support. We have enough Jewish power to deal with this problem ourselves. I would still take a stand against anti-Semitism because it's wrong, it's unjust, and it's evil. If my Catholic brothers and sisters said to me, amid bigotry toward Catholics, we don't need your support in this because we have enough Catholic power to deal with it, I would still take a stand against bigotry toward Catholics because it is wrong, it is evil, and it is unjust. Well, Bernice King responded uh, by posting this on, tweet, tw on Twitter. Amy, certainly my father was against anti-Semitism, as am I. He also believed mil militarism, along with racism and poverty, to be among the interconnected triple evils. I'm certain he would call for Israel's bombing of Palestinians to cease, for hostages to be released, for us to be for us to work for true peace, which includes justice. He said justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. We have much to correct. Here's a clip of my father talking about withdrawing from the Vietnam War and moral power. But Dr. King, that the war in Vietnam could be stopped now without harm to this country? Well, there's two ways to deal with it. Uh, one is a unilateral withdrawal. Uh, I don't oppose that because uh, I feel that this is a possibility. After all, France withdrew unilaterally from Algeria, withdrew without a military victory. Mm -hmm. And this did not lessen France's prestige or influence in the world. If anything, it increased its prestige but in France the world. France is not the power that this country is. 
But I think that's an even greater reason why uh, we should restrain our power. Uh, there's always the danger that any nation will abuse its power. And uh, I think our power must be much more than military power. We don't need to prove to the world or anybody our military power. I think we've got to prove our moral power. Now. Do you feel that this nation has abused, uh, as you say, uh, their power? Oh, I certainly do. Boy, um, it's always interesting, uh, Rebecca, when these people love to quote Dr. King, but they don't want to talk the rest of Dr. King. Yeah, we have to talk about the full picture. And, you know, this is what's really interesting. And I'm, you know, I'm just holding my breath when it comes January, when I see all sorts of people, everyone from Ted Cruz to DeSantis <laughs> trying to quote Dr. King, knowing that they do not espouse the views or even the moral um, integrity of Dr. King. And I do appreciate the King family upholding um, even the intellectual property um, of their father to make sure that when people are taking quotations, um, out of context that it is properly addressed. So I definitely applaud the King um, family for making sure that um, Dr. King's um, um, thought leadership and uh, moral philosophy um, is still um, um, integral to what his actual beliefs were. Scott? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This, um, this whole issue of Israel versus Palestine as well as the Hamas, um, mainstream America seems to struggle with being two-headed. Uh, you're either for Israel or against them. If you show any sympathy towards Palestine and what's going on in Gaza, the death and destruction, I can support Israel and their right to be there as an important ally of the U.S., but I can certainly support a two-party state and believe that Palestinians have a right to be there, too, and to coexist. I can oppose Hamas uh, kidnapping and killing Israelis as part of their struggle, if you will. And I can support Israel having the right to defend themselves. What I find hard to support is the collateral damage of 7,000 or more Palestinians being dead, whether Hamas is infiltrating them or not. There's got to be a better way. Israel's got to keep the higher moral authority. The U.S. has to have a higher moral authority. And if you look at the death and destruction and the lives, that's what America is seeing. And, and that's why you have the protests on the college campuses, because young people are seeing the death and destruction in Gaza. They, they understand the wrongful attack of Hamas against Israel. But to eliminate Hamas, there's got to be a way to preserve citizens, let them leave, find them a way out. Right. You can't move a hospital overnight, if you will. And so this is very complicated and difficult. And so I stand for peace. Right. And I can stand for all those other things without being anti-Semitic. I can stand for humanity. And we meet we need that viewpoint, in my opinion, by our leaders and others to be to be more defined and talked about more. If we're going to be part of supporting Israel in a package to send more billions to them to protect themselves. Robert? Uh, we Part of it is we have to, for our, our white brothers and sisters, the ones who uh, have kind of been brainwashed by this American system of propaganda, and then you have Ron DeSantis and uh, banning books and banning, back, banning black history. Part of what happens when you ban black history and start calling it critical race theory is 
and start saying dumbass stuff like Amy Schumer did, uh, because you don't know the history, you don't know the context around things. You can take anything out of context and turn it in, uh, and twist it for your own purposes. Just like Rebecca said, you know, we keep hearing Republicans and conservatives quoting Dr. King just say content of character, not color of their skin, and they forget there's a whole 1,600-word, 16-minute-long speech that went around that, but they take the part that they want out of it, and they pervert it to their, their uh, purposes. Of course, Dr. King would be against the bombing of uh, of the Palestinian people. We just saw the the IDF admit to bombing a refugee camp yesterday. They killed hundreds of people. There was a caravan of of uh, people that the Israelis told to leave northern Gaza, go to southern Gaza. Before they got there, they got hit by Israeli bombs. Uh, we uh, there's been as many as three thousand children have been killed since uh, October the seventh. Uh, the death toll of civilians may be above ten thousand currently uh, in Palestine. Uh, in Palestine, I was on a Iranian TV a couple of days ago, and before my segment, there was an interview interview with a little five or six-year-old Palestinian boy. And he said, well, my father was killed today in an airstrike. My grandfather was killed in 2005 uh, by the Israelis. My great-grandfather was killed in 1987 by the Israelis. So what exactly do you think that little boy is going to do? Grow up to be a cab driver? Grow up to be a baker? No, he's going to grow up to continue the cycle of violence that's been visited upon this region over and over again. And we have to stop with the, uh, well, there's bad on both sides argument. The We had lines drawn in 1947. We had draw, lines drawn in 1967. When Netanyahu ran for re-election last year, he ran on a platform of the total eradication of Gaza. That is what he said in his speeches. He said you have to treat them like Amalek did in the Bible. He put in place the most severely right-wing government in Israeli history, all but promising the war that we are seeing today when he put those things in place. He put together, put in place judicial reforms. It had 18 months of protest by the Israeli people against Netanyahu, giving himself all the godlike dictatorial powers to execute this type of ethnic cleansing. We have to stop pretending the people of Gaza have not been living in an open-air prison since 2005, where every movement they make is being regulated. They don't have access to medical care. They don't have access to food to water, to humanitarian supplies, and where with a flick of a switch, the Israelis can turn off uh, access to the internet, the access to electricity, shut down hospitals, etc. So as long as we keep pretending that these are even-handed actors in this uh, in this situation, we are not going to make progress. The reason there's been no two-state solution because of Benjamin Netanyahu. There are two things that have been consistent over the course of the last 30 years, violence in a continuous cycle in the region, and Benjamin Netanyahu being in power. Netanyahu who has been in power in Israel in one capacity or another longer than Vladimir Putin has been in power in Russia, but yet we don't call him a dictator. So until we are uh, going to not just say, hey, Israel, we love you, but actually hold them accountable and say we need regime change uh, in uh, Israel just as much as in any other regime, and actually say that our, uh, our military aid is conditioned upon, one, a ceasefire, and two, the normalization of terms and relations between Israel and the Palestinian people, or else you're not going to get this $15 billion here, this $30 billion there, these F-35s here and there. Well, that's how you actually move towards peace and use the power of the United States government to uh, to actually affect change in the region. But as long as we simply try to act as if we are washing our hands of it, we're just uh, uh, spectators, we're going to keep seeing this violence taking place. And America does not have a moral leg to stand on, because if you think Gaza looks bad, think of what Iraq looked like after we got done with it. Um, it is certainly uh, an Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Issue that continues uh, to befuddle lots of folks. Uh, and yeah, to Amos Schumer's of the world, you can make your point. Don't pimp Dr. King to make your point because if you want to tell about Dr. King, tell the rest of the story. So like all these people who try to see it here, these FBA B1 people <clears throat> who try to post Malcolm X quotes talking about Democrats, I'm like, oh, y'all going to skip over the rest of that stuff? Uh-huh, yep. Y'all going to skip over everybody <laughs> else, too? Yeah, I thought yeah, so. All right, all right yeah. folks, got to go to the break. We'll be right back on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Don't forget, support us in what we do. Join our Brina Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to do the stories uh, and travel around the country covering the issues important to African-Americans. Uh, please hit chicken money over to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 200-37-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale, Roland at Roland S. Martin. Rolling at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Also, uh, you can uh, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. You can also watch us on multiple platforms, our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week streaming channel. Of course, you can see us on YouTube. Of course, you can see us on the Black Star Network app. You can also take, check it out on Amazon Fire. Go to Amazon, uh, excuse me, Amazon News on Amazon Fire. Go to Amazon Fire, go to News, and you can check us out. You can say Alexa, play news from the Black Star Network to hear the audio. You can also turn to Plex TV, which is on that 24-hour fast channel, as well as Amazon Freebie and on the live news grid on Amazon Prime Video, folks. And be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds, available at bookstores nationwide. We'll be right back. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it. And you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in Black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is rmartin unfiltered. Venmo is rm unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollinsmartin.com. My name is Lena Charles, and I'm from Opelousas, Louisiana. Yes, that is Zodico capital of the world. My name is Margaret Chappelle. I'm from Dallas, Texas, representing the Urban Trivia Game. It's me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you watch. Roland Martin on Unfiltered. A decades-long conflict across the Congo has displaced, folks, a record 6.9 million people. The United Nations Migration Agency calls it one of the worst, uh, one of the world's largest displacement and humanitarian crises. According to the International Organization for Migration, at least 80% of the displaced people live in eastern Congo's provinces of North Kivu, South Kivu, Aturi, and uh, Tanganyika, which have long been overrun by dozens of armed groups seeking a share of the region's gold and other resources. National security and foreign policy expert Asha Castleberry Hernandez uh, joins me from D.C. to discuss what's happening in the Congo. Um, so, so, so first and foremost, um, part, of this, part of this issue and let's just be frank, why this has not gotten lots of attention is because, like many countries in Africa, as far as this nation is concerned, if there is no national interest, meaning first oil or some type of resource, frankly, we don't care. Well, thank you, Roland, for having me today. And I, I must say, uh, the last time we spoke, we discussed uh, the uh, North Korea issue 
uh, involving the uh, Trump's historic visit to the DMC. So I'm happy to see you again. And also, too, I've worked on uh, the Congo at the Security Council during the uh, Obama administration. Yes, uh, unfortunately, the Congo crisis has been overlooked for uh, for quite some time. And let's be honest, because it's in the, Af the African continent, that's one reason why. Uh, and also, too, when you look at how long the conflict has been, which has been for decades, there's a sense of fatigue, too, with, with regards from the international community, as well as uh, within the region, that how can we honestly bring sustainable peace to the Congo? And unfortunately, it's been struggling for quite some time. And as you can see, just recently, with the Tutsi-led group that has been able to make inroads in North Kivu, and, has been, and as a result of that, uh, you know, there's been a failure of the Congolese government or military along with a regional force as well as a U.N. peacekeeping force that's, that has not been able to push back or counter the Tutsi-led rebel group effectively. So you're seeing in-grounds in, uh, in coming from them. And as a result, it's creating the humanitarian crises and deepening it more and more to where it's creating the world, one of the world's worst uh, displacement issue right now. So... It does deserve more attention, but unfortunately, it's been this way for quite some time, and it should not be a normative in the international community. Anthony, go to my iPad. This here is a map uh, of Africa. We see the Democratic Republic uh, of the Congo. Uh, it is uh, one of the larger countries. Uh, it's there uh, in, uh, is there in uh, Central Africa. Uh, and so who really has... Uh, the influence, if you will, to impact this? Is there a particular African nation or leader who has the credibility uh, to try uh, to uh, have an impact and stop what's going on? Well, it's going to definitely take the international community, more specifically key regional, um, regional countries that are bordering uh, Eastern Congo in order to effectively address this issue. Like, for instance, there's a lot of speculation or accusations right now with regards to uh, neighboring countries like Rwanda or Uganda indicating or accusing them of of arming or supporting the rebel groups, the Tutsi-led rebel group that extends all the way back into the Rwanda crisis in 1994. So it's going to have to take for some real authentic peace negotiations with these neighbor countries, along with the Congolese government and other significant um, leaders in the Security Council to be able to effectively be just honest on how what is the causation that's really helping to make the Congo uh, make the Tutsi-led government I mean Tutsi-led rebel groups become more equipped more with better with better, um, with better uh, equipment uniform. Uh, more support to be able to outperform the U.N. peacekeeping effort, the regional forces. What is causing that? And if so, if they're feeding into that issue, we need to come back to the table and address that. Uh, when it comes to uh, the president of the Congo, this is who he is uh, right here. Does he actually control the country or is it split? Uh, Anthony, go to my iPad. Does he control the country or, or is it or parts of the country, country being controlled by rebel factions? Yes. And so what we've seen over the past de uh, decade, we've seen that the rebel groups have been able to capture uh, significant critical areas within uh, the Congo. So unfortunately, he has struggled to uh, to be able to control significant areas within his own country. And so that's why you see a U.N. peacekeeping force there to help 
prop him up or be able to recontrol those areas. And what you're seeing right now is that these rebel groups are more and more controlling more areas to where he's not being able to uh, control those areas, especially in the eastern Congo. So it's very unfortunate that, uh, unfortunately, with regards to the entire sovereign state, he does not necessarily have full control of the entire country. Questions from my panel. Rebecca, you first. Um, sure. Can you um, talk more about um, the role that mining of certain uh, rare earth materials play into this? And even with Rwanda, Ugandan military groups that are being funded by the United States, by Britain, by France, and even Israel. Um, can you talk more about some of those connections? Yes. Uh, so as just as mentioned before, in terms of the Tutsi-led uh, group, uh, rebel group. Um, there is a lot of speculation that Rwanda, Uganda, is uh, supporting uh, the Tutsi-led group, which goes back to 1994, um, on uh, 1994 uh, genocide crisis. Uh, and then when you look at the uh, UN peacekeeping effort, which is paid by the United Nations Security Council, the United States supports uh, these peacekeeping efforts. This is another avenue approach for the United States helps uh, support the Congolese government by providing uh, <clears throat> equipment or support to these uh, peacekeepers. Unfortunately, what you're seeing right now is that the Tutsi-led rebel group is more equipped and has better equipment than uh, the UN peacekeeping effort, along with the regional security force that works uh, with the UN peacekeeping um, force. So you're seeing this split, but you're seeing an outperformance from Again, the Tutsi-led group uh, against this, and this was definitely noted by the security, uh, excuse me, the Secretary General Antonio Guterres, where he has specifically mentioned the Tutsi-led group is more equipped than the uh, UN peacekeeping effort. How the hell is that allowed to happen? I mean, how? Yeah. Right, right. Well, Go ahead. Well. Mm -hmm. Oh, you like for me? Answer? Yeah, yeah, Asha, go ahead. Yeah, how, how are the rebels better equipped? <laughs> yes. Um, well, when it comes to peacekeeping efforts, uh, uh, or you know, just the government itself, um, African militaries have always struggled in terms of being able to be more equipped in fighting in these constant armed conflicts. And then you know, because of they're not necessarily funded, they don't receive enough money. Uh, in terms of being more uh, more robust in its military posture. Over time, that's what you see. And then at the same time, simultaneously, these security challenges just continue to exacerbate. So they're, they're sometimes considered as combat effective because they can't keep up with the ongoing deepened security challenges that are happening. So it definitely goes back to the lack of funding, a lack of leadership, a lack of uh, just under being equipped to serve in these community, I mean, in these conflicts. May I ask a follow up? Yeah, go ahead. So, when you have a destabilized DRC, does it make it easier for different outside interests to come in and to take some of the materials, some of the um, the resources um, out of the region? I'm talking about some of the specific, I think it's Colton, um, is the specific um, rare earth mineral that's being extracted. Thank you for mentioning that point, because uh, looking at this situation, one of Many experts have said that one of the driving factors of why 
this conflict is happening is because of the economic interest in terms of the natural, the rich natural resources like gold and additional resources where these neighboring countries have an interest uh, in being able to control. So with that being said, uh, because the Congo, especially along the eastern province, is looked upon as being porous, it is a lot easier for external uh, forces or groups to come in and to be able to take advantage of the destabilization or the uh, fragility of the country, uh, and, and more specifically, specifically is to target towards these um, these markets or these natural resources. So the, there's a, definitely a big economic drive or factor here that plays into this conflict. Who's who is Scott Bolton here? If I may, Roland. Go ahead. Um, who's driving the peace process? I mean, the, the videos show chaos. You've got these various interests and, and so forth and so on. I got it. But the U.N. is there as a peacekeeping force. Is the U.N. driving peace and negotiations between these various factions, whether it's power sharing or ending the chaos or ending the war against these 80 percent of the population that's being displaced? Thank you for the question. Yes, so the UN has played a, a, um, a significant role in trying to, uh, you know, achieve a sustainable peace there in the Congo. But unfortunately, it has not been able to reach that goal. Uh, going back to the CNDP in 2009, where there was this power sharing point that you just mentioned uh, between mm -hmm. the Tutsi-led uh, leadership along with the Congolese government, where both were... Uh, combined, come together as far as a sharing power. But unfortunately, um, by uh, in 2012, when the Congolese government arrested one of the top Tutsi-led uh, rebel group leaders, that created a, a, a friction or a, a divide or a wedge between the two. And then that's when you start to see uh, the, the Tutsi-led uh, representation or group just branch away from uh, the uh, uh, Congolese government. So and then it happened again. Another agreement occurred, but unfortunately, uh, that peace deal did not um, did not meet its expectations. And in fact, the Tutsi-led group says we are we are fighting back because we are we're not seeing that that the Congolese government is meeting our expectations with regards to these peace agreements. So there is definitely a failure with regards to the, these peace agreements bringing sustainable peace subsequently because that's exactly what they've mentioned, that it's not achieving peace uh, within this area. So there's been just a lot of failure in terms of after uh, meeting or, or after a peace agreement has been established. Wow. Robert? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. 
With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, following up on Rebecca's question, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we, we have seen that there have been massive oil deposits found both in North and Southern Kifu, as well as Tanganyika, including on one of the world's largest gorilla preserves. Uh, they, uh, the uh, foreign national organizations, including China, have att- attempted to extract oil from, as well as a massive lithium mine in uh, the southeastern region of the, of the Congo, uh, which Australia is attempting to exploit, in addition to the cobalt uh, tritium that uh, Rebecca mentioned earlier. Uh, what role does China play in providing uh, international leadership in, key, in peacekeeping in these areas? Um, because it seems that the regional partners, which normally would have a security interest there, seem to have basically washed their hands of the situation. Uh, Kenya, which is directly next to Uganda, they're sending peace, uh, proposed sending peacekeepers all the way to Haiti, as opposed to spend sending peacekeepers to Congo to deal with those, uh, those issues right on their doorstep. Uh, but what role does China and other uh, international organizations outside of the NATO, the UN, the UN, the US, uh, what role are they playing in attempting to achieve peace? Yes, thank you for the question. So China is unfortunately all over the continent when it comes to, uh, you know, um, uh, matters that relate to peace, security, economics, infrastructure developments like the Belt and Road Initiative. So what you're seeing in terms of China is they play a role with the UN where they support, they fund the UN in terms of peacekeeping. They even are like the one of the only uh, P5 permanent representatives that have peacekeepers or deploy peacekeepers to these type of peacekeeping missions in Africa. So there's some sort of like, you know, boots on the ground representation with regards to China. Uh, now, then, then also you have this uh, unilat or bilat uh, um, effort that China is doing where they work uh, closely with these countries as far as, you know, saying, hey, we will we will work closely with you in terms of security, in terms of uh, building the infrastructure development, uh, you know, that you always needed for more than 90 or 100 years. Uh, but with but in exchange, China always has an interest in terms of economics, especially when it comes to oil. Now, now, in terms of uh, oil, yes, China has a strategic interest because it has to accommodate over 1.3 billion people that, that you know, demands a high consumption of, of energy needed there. So um, China definitely has a strategic interest when it comes to this oil industry within the Congo. 
and just rolling real quick, a follow-up. Uh, we've seen other African nations that have been dealing with similar issues partition. We've seen North and Southern Sudan partition. Uh, there's a proposal to partition Libya directly, uh, bilaterally, uh, directly down the center. Has there been any uh, conceptualization of redrawing lines to uh, potentially stop this, uh, this ethnic violence? Uh, with regards to this, as far as partition, I think that is a potential, especially if you start to see where the country is struggling to be able to control the entire uh, um, state. So um, just like what you said, as far as Sudan, I used to actually work on that issue uh, in at the United Nations where we, we successfully uh, were able to establish South Sudan compared to Sudan. And, and that helped uh, at that point uh, more bring more peace between the two countries. But there is definitely a potential here. Uh, with regards to the Congo, especially when you see there's a huge difference in terms of experiences looking at the Eastern Congo versus Western Congo. But once again, in order to do that, we have to bring in those neighboring countries and the, and the rest of the international community to come up to a, a consensus on, is that realistic? Would that actually bring peace uh, with regards to the DRC? Final question I would like for you to answer. Uh, and this is for somebody who's watching right now who's saying, look, man, I don't care. It's other stuff that we could be talking about. It's stuff happening uh, in the United States. A lot of these people who are very isolationist who say, I don't care about what's happening in Africa. I don't care about what's happening in the Caribbean. Why should this matter to African-Americans? Yes. Thank you for the uh, Sorry, the question. Uh, well, you know, what's interesting is that I, I was really happy to take um, to participate in this uh, interview because just yesterday, Vice President Harris uh, initiated her uh, presidential advisory board, well, President Biden's uh, advisory board for African affairs. So they're spending a lot of time, money in terms of how to help bring peace and security effectively in the continent. And that requires Americans being involved, utilizing our taxpayer money to help bring peace to, and security there. Why is that so, so important? Well, when you look at places like uh, like the, the DRC or even right now in Israel involving Gaza, when you have destabilization, you have groups like terrorist groups, uh, for instance, whether it's Hamas, ISIS, et cetera, et cetera, especially ISIS in, in southern Africa, those type of terrorist groups breathe there. And, and once they have the opportunity to build on strongholds and uh, re-emerge, re, uh, that becomes not only a threat, to that specific state, the region, but also to the United States. So it's un so helping to develop Africa. It's not just involved with okay, we have to be able to push back on China with regards to strategic competition, but it also it helps uh, fight back uh, terrorism. And that was clearly stated by the vice president when she actually uh, um, pursued her trips there. Uh, she wants she saw that it's very important that we stay engaged with Africa and help develop it because it fights back against terrorism. And to your point, uh, this is the press release. <coughs> Excuse me, the White House sent out. Uh, go to my iPad, please. Uh, lays out the inaugural members of the President's Advisory Council on Africa, African Diaspora Engagement in the United States. Uh, there are 12 members uh, of folks in here. So the members for 2023-25, uh, you see them here, including Rosalind Brewer, 
who recently uh, stepped down as the CEO of Walgreens, actress Viola Davis, uh, Helene Gale uh, of uh, Georgia, uh, Patrick Gaspar, former legislative director uh, under Obama. And so you see uh, all the names uh, right here. Uh, Asha uh, Castleberry Hernandez, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, giving us this important perspective uh, that uh, let's, it, it will not get talked about on mainstream media. Thank you so much, Roland. Thanks so much. Look forward to having you back. Folks, got to go to break. We come back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. A lot of things we want to talk about uh, on the show. Uh, we'll talk about, first of all, we'll talk with Dr. Dennis Kimbrough about the creation of the building of black wealth and how this, the mindset of African-Americans must change. That's that's not Where's Our Money segment. Also on the show, uh, we're going to talk with uh, my man Isaac Hayes III, uh, the founder of Fanbase. Why has he been banned from LinkedIn? Could it be that he pissed off the people of Clubhouse and they were upset with him? We'll talk about that. And y'all, I got to deal with this crap that I keep seeing all on social media. I'm sick of these people talking about you not a man if you don't pay 100% of the bills. Yeah, I got a couple of things to say about that. And I got a little surprise for Scott Bolden. <laughs> You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. I'm Faraji Muhammad, live from L.A., and this is The Culture. The Culture is a two-way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, we're all in this together, so let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's The Culture, weekdays at 3, only on the Black Star Network. I'm Dee Barnes, and next on The Frequency, we talk to award-winning screenwriter and director Chanel Dupree about her film, You Think You've Grown, The Adultification of Young Black Girls. This is a conversation that all women can relate to. This woman was like, oh my God, you know, I, I went through this when I was a kid. She wore something, it was a maxi dress, but the way it fit on her body, this uh, female teacher thought that she looked too grown and spun her around in front of a male teacher and said, "What do you, do you think she looks grown, right? Oh, my God. So that's next time on The Frequency on the Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Craig Carr. Immigrants lured off Texas streets and shipped to places like Martha's Vineyard and Washington, D.C. Believe it or not, we've seen it all before. You people in the North, you're so sympathetic to Black people. You take them. 60 years ago, they called it the reverse freedom riots. Back then, Southern governors shipped black people north with the false promise of jobs and a better life. It's a part of a well-known playbook being brought back to life. So what's next? That's next on The Black Table, a conversation with Dr. Gerald Horn about this issue of the reverse freedom rides right here on The Black Star Network. Hello, I'm Jamia Pugh. I am from Coatesville, Pennsylvania, just an hour right outside of Philadelphia. My name is Jasmine Pugh. I'm also from Coatesville, Pennsylvania. You are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay right here.
been frozen out. Facing an extinction level event. We don't fight this fight right now. You're not going to have black on Folks, uh, welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, we have this section of our show, Where's Our Money? Because um, our focus oftentimes is what's happening in our society when it comes to building wealth creation. And you, you keep hearing this. People keep talking about, oh, building wealth creation, building wealth creation. Oh, how these things are important. Uh, a lot of times... I hear these conversations, I see these panels uh, of people talking about building wealth creation. I sort of laugh at many of them uh, because when I see the people on a panel, the first thing I go is, any of them wealthy? Any of them actually got money? Any of them actually own businesses? Uh, it sort of drives me crazy uh, when I hear uh, a, a lot of these things take place. Uh, and, and I know somebody's sitting here saying, uh, man, I think you're being too hard. No, I, I'm not being too hard because if we're going to be honest about what is needed and required is I believe there has to be a fundamental change in mindset. When I look at a lot of the discussions, panels that we sit on. I've done this at Congressional Black Caucus, uh, and I remember I remember speaking before U.S. Black Chamber Inc., uh, Ron Busby's group, and I said to them, "Y'all should never allow a conversation to be had about wealth creation if you're not on the panel." This is no. Slight. Let me be very clear. I'm going to say something. This is not throwing shade at any group or anyone. But I said to the U.S. Black Chamber, Inc., how can you allow there to be conversations about black wealth creation? And I see the NAACP and the National Urban League on the panel. And you're never on the panel. I said, I, I, I said, that makes no sense to me. I said, because they're not experts at that. So the other day, I was on, um, I was on social media, uh, and I came across this clip here uh, of my man, uh, Dennis Kimbrough. Uh, and let me get the clip set up. Uh, and I saw it, and I started laughing. I mean, I've heard him speak. We've chatted many times before. Uh, and those of you who at Morehouse have uh, uh, know him as well. And so I saw this clip and I said, let's get him on the show. Go to my iPad. Black America, you are the only group. You are the only group that don't profile your wealth creators. You got six black billionaires out there. Can you tell me the six? Oh, oh I don't know. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem. 
black America, how do you get up and look in the mirror in the morning, knowing you only got 35,000 black millionaires? You almost got the same number of millionaires that Qatar has. You got about 35,000 millionaires in Qatar. You got 34 million African Americans in the United States, and you barely have 900,000 people who live in Qatar. What are you doing? Black America, you are the only group. You are the only group that don't profile your wealth creators. You got six black billionaires out there. Can you tell me the six? Oh, oh, I don't know. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem. Black America, how do you get up and look in the mirror in the morning, knowing you only got 35,000 black millionaires? You almost got the same number of millionaires that Qatar has. You got about 35,000 millionaires in Qatar. You got 34 million African Americans in the United States, and you barely have 900,000 people who live in Qatar. What are you doing? Black America, you are the only I, group. You so are joining us right now, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Uh, he is professor, he's author, he's lecturer, he's uh, done all of that. Uh, he is, of course, uh, a good man of distinction. Uh, uh, Scott, I don't think you can claim him your, your frat, Scott. I don't think so. He's a good Kappa man, right? He's a good Kappa man. <laughs> I know Dr. Kimbrough. He's a good Kappa man, right? Nope. <laughs> nope. Of course not, Alpha Man. Nice try. Nice try, but you came up short again. The doc, <laughs> doc, the reason the reason I, I, I thought I, I thought this this was important to talk about is because I can't tell you how many times I'm attending events and 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 people are having these conversations. And the first thing I do is, does do anybody on do they own anything? Have they had any PL responsibility? Have they hired anybody? And I just think we have lots of conversations that are nothing more than rhetorical masturbation. It only pleases the person talking. Doc, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Well, you know that was a question. Go, no, 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 that was, that was a statement that he could respond to. Go ahead. Well, well, yeah, you're asking me a question, and thank you very much, Roland, um, for giving me this platform. I'm eternally grateful, and yes, you and I go way back, and we come way forward. And speaking of going way back, that clip that you showed, uh, that was uh, at the beginning of my data search in terms of black millionaires, so it's got some age on it. And thankfully, at the time when I was uh, writing that book, Thanks uh, to um, uh, Federal Reserve, U.S. Trust Survey, IRS, Census Bureau. Uh, when I put all that data together, there were only 35,000 black millionaires, according to the Fed. Now, that was almost 20 years ago. And to go back even further, which got me on this path after I got my degree from Northwestern, I read an old issue of Time magazine that profiled Martin Luther King when he led the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955. And they said in that issue of Time magazine that when he did lead that boycott, there were only five black millionaires in the United States. And as lo and behold, and thank God, four out of the five were still living. Now I knew that my my dissertation at Northwestern and what my area of focus was, was uh, just to categorize wealth, because there, we didn't have that many books at the time. And so when I saw that article, I made it my business. Four out of the five were still living. I hopped on a plane, got in a car, did whatever I had to do to go ahead and uh, interview these gentlemen. 
I can say this now unequivocally. Here we are in 2023. There are 62 millionaires, 62 million millionaires across the globe. Of the 62 million millionaires across the globe, 22 million can be found right here in the United States. Of the 22 million in the United States, 1.79 million are African American. So we have made some changes. It looks like we're getting the memo. So, so I, I, hold, on, hold on. So again, for the person listening, you said of the 22 millionaires in the United States, there are 1.79 million African Americans. Now, for the person who, again, because I think part of the problem here, Doc, is when people think millionaires, they're thinking the bling, they're thinking the massive houses and stuff. <laughs> no. When you say millionaires, we're talking about people what, with what? A BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. million dollars in assets. How do you define that? Net worth. I use the same formula that's used at the Fed. Assets minus, excuse me, assets minus liabilities minus primary source of residence. If you threw the residence in there, then of course everybody out in California, everybody in New York would certainly walk up to the uh, the starting line. Got it. But the fact of the but the fact of the matter is that we are getting the memo, but we're not getting the memo on the level that we should. Why? Because Roland, I'm a Johnny come lately. What I've done isn't anything special. Because Black America, your most prolific scholar, W.B. Du Bois in 1879, or actually 1877 through 79, he wrote the seminal work, The Negro in Business. Now, how did he do that? Okay, he was teaching at Atlanta University, arguably the same school that I teach right now that has now become Clark Atlanta University. And after school in the spring semester, 
After spring semester, he would hop on a train as far south as Jacksonville, Florida, and travel as far north as Boston, Massachusetts. And every step along the way, he would get off the, get off the train and interview black business owners. Well, you're fortunate if you get a chance to read that book. Only your better university libraries. And I don't even know if any public libraries would have a copy of that more than 800-page book. And, and the book is what called, again, what? The book is called what? Um, uh, only your better public, excuse me, better public library and university libraries would have a copy of that book. And, and I'm, so, saying, I'm saying, saying the name of the book again is? The name of the book is The Negro in Business. Got it. Go ahead. Okay. The Negro in Business. If you don't get a chance to read the complete compendium, that book, just read the first 30 pages because he has two profound quotes within the first 30 pages. Number one, he says, the man or woman who won't control his or her finances won't control anything else. Now, what in the world does that mean? If you don't care about the money in your pocket, what do you care about the level of black and black crime? What do you care about uh, the scarcity in terms of high school graduation rates within the community and the like? And then number two, he says, nothing positive will ever occur in a community that fails to circulate its dollars. Now, he wrote this in the late 1890s, and those two quotes are applicable today. So in 1897, Du Bois writes a Negro in business. 15 years later, in, uh, you know, in 1913, Booker T. Washington writes his book, and he uses the same title, yep. The Negro in Business. Now, that book that Booker T. Washington wrote, they only had 25,000 copies printed of the hardback. Now, here you are in my study, and I can turn around right there and look behind me. I keep, I got rows and rows of books back in my, in my study, but here I am by my computer. I have the 30 books that had a profound impact on my life. Booker T. Washington's book was one of those books. So the days are gone in which we can say the white man, this, white America, blah, blah, blah. No, you've got to be a participant in your own rescue. And I'm not saying everybody's got to be a millionaire or billionaire. Hell, I'm telling you know, right now you've got about 3,000 billionaires across the United States. And on any given day, you would have anywhere from 12 to 15 African-American billionaires. I've been blessed to interview four of the anywhere from 12 to 15. That's not my stick. I'm not, I want you to be completely and totally fulfilled. But the fact of the matter is you have got to change your mindset in the environment that we are right now. The economy that we have right now, we've gone from agricultural to industrial to information, technological, whatever. Right now we are in the creator's economy. And what does that mean? That means you create your own economy. In the next year, year and a half, maybe two years, there'll be eight billion people on this planet. And what in the world does that mean? That means eight billion sets of ears, eight billion sets of eyes for you to share your product, for you to share your service. So what in the world are you going to do? Now, what I found out writing The Wealth Choice and uh, I, I, I've been blessed. It was a lot easier to write the wealth choice than think of what's your black choice or what makes a great, great. Because I had a, a little, I guess, um, you know, I had a little brand equity at that particular point. But the folks, number one, I used a full-blown survey. 
When Tom Stanley wrote The Millionaire Next Door, and I'm not saying it was easier for him than it is me. Research is research, okay? Yep. yep. And as you know, the, the, I'm not going to make this an MBA class, but there's two types of research. There's you know what we call applied research, and there's theoretical research. And I was looking for the applied research. I wanted to talk to folks who did this for a living and who were seven figures. So if I profile anybody in my book, and if I surveyed, surveyed anybody in my data, they were seven figures. So I used a full-blown survey in which I asked these black millionaires 118 questions. And the survey was divided into four different factors, everywhere from demographics to success factors. Number two, I held six focus groups around the country. If you were an African-American and you weren't seven figures, you did not get into the focus group. Not because I didn't want you, not because you didn't have anything to say, but you weren't my target demographic. So where were those focus groups? I had three in Atlanta. I had one in Washington, in D.C. The focus group that I had in Washington, D.C., there were more than 110 black millionaires in that focus group. Carla Harris, the most powerful black woman on Wall Street, Morgan Stanley, she was in that focus group. Bob Johnson, one-time owner of the Charlotte Honors uh, and BET founder, he was in that focus group. Michael and Steve Roberts, the Roberts brothers, you're billionaires, okay, out of St. Louis, they were in that focus group. And again, I had a small focus group in Omaha, Nebraska, and I had an even smaller focus group, a boutique focus group with only black females out in Las Vegas. And the reason why I held these focus groups, I wanted to see how black millionaires interacted with each other. Mm. And that's what we get wrong as a race. There's no bling bling. There's oh. no beating on the chest. There's no look at me. There's no latest fashion. Folks showing up in tattered jeans. Folks showing up and, and you know, uh, work shirts and this, that. and everything. That's what I wanted to see. Right. And that's what we get wrong. When we think of black millionaires, we think of high-priced athletes. We think of entertainers. Yep. We think of cryptocurrency. That's the wrong vibe. These aren't those individuals. And I can give you, you know, I can give you the demographic on what the average black millionaire looks like. The average black millionaire is 52 years old, lived in the same home for more than 20 years, bought that home more than 20 years ago for $175,000, and now the appraised value is close to $500,000. And yes, they have burnt the mortgage. They drive four cars. And neither of them are brand new. Boom. Some just might be a little bit more newer than the others, but two of those four cars are really going to have some miles on them. So that's what we get wrong. And as soon as that we take a look at it, and right. here's the good news. Go ahead. Well, the the, the, th the reason the, the the reason first of all you, you you're on point, and 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 the reason that um, this I, I also wanted this because I, I was watching this I was watching this video and. It was the brother, he was described as being rich, and another brother, uh, you know, you know, working man. And they were having this conversation, and the rich brother was telling this brother, you know, you ain't a real man until you paying 100% of the bills. And I was like, this is the <laughs> stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. And the reason it was, the reason I, it, it was, it was, I, the reason it pissed me off, it was stupid, because we got folk who are walking around with egos, we got men who are saying that, we got women who believe that, 
And I, I'll say the common denominator, if anybody's walking around saying that, those are likely people who don't know any wealthy people whatsoever. Because, and I'll give you the perfect example. I, 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 the thing, I, I will use the example, I'll tell somebody today, Paula Madison. So Paula Madison, her husband Roosevelt, uh, is a makeup artist, and he did makeup for Tom Brokaw. Well, Paula and Roosevelt sat down, and they said, all right, out of the both of us, you, Paula, have the greatest opportunity to make the most amount of money over the next 20 years. So Roosevelt said, no matter what I'm doing, if your job moves you somewhere else, we going. <laughs> now, what happens? She goes from being news director at a television station in Houston to become the news director at WNBC in New York. She then becomes the general manager at WNBC, leaves WNBC to become, go to the general manager at KNBC, becomes head of diversity for General uh, Electric, uh, uh, then, of course, gets on the board, retires at, like, 57, 58, was a multimillionaire beforehand, and her and her family, they, they used to own the L.A. Sparks, they own the Africa Channel, and so uh, she's got multiple millions. This was a perfect example of a man and Roosevelt chilling, driving a Rolls Royce of a mm -hmm. man saying, hey, my woman has an opportunity for all of these different things. We gonna ride that till the wheels fall off. She ain't sitting here tripping like I'm the boss. I'm making the most money. I make all decisions. He not tripping. They said, we gonna do this thing together. And so here they are, Paula just turned 70. Hell, they've been sitting on millions for the past 15 plus years, but they made a millionaire decision. They wasn't tripping on ego over who made the most money. Yeah, well, that's a great metaphor right there. You know, what I found about millionaires is that it's a team effort. And I mentioned in terms of home ownership, the average black millionaire has been married anywhere between 15 and 20 years. So the fact of the matter is they look at it as a team. All right, so you look at me. Uh, I've been married close to, to 50 years. And me and my wife, we were uh, seniors in college. When we got married, we got married by the justice of the peace. But we had one thing in mind. We wanted to do a little bit better than our families. Because when you look on my wife's side, uh, neither of my in-laws finished high school. When you look on my side, yes, my father did finish high school, but my mother had a seventh grade education. So we knew that, hey, listen, we're not only going to succeed, but we're going to succeed for our family. Where no one's Jonathan living Seagull and no one flies alone. And unfortunately, I think that's what Generation Z doesn't really capture. But that's a sermon for another Sunday. But as I said before, Roland, you know, we are in a creator's economy. Yep. And every dollar bill is up for grab. And you have got to decide. And that when I talk about decide, I found seven laws of wealth and two rules of wealth that black millionaires always abide by. The number one, the number one law of wealth is knowledge. And people ask me all the time, well, you know, there are 10 different forms of wealth and money is only one of them. As a matter of fact, money's not number one and money's not number two, money is number three. Now I stand before students every Tuesday and Thursday at Clark Atlanta University in the School of Business and I tell my students that I get some pushback, Dr. Kimbrough, money's not number one now. The number one form of wealth 
Okay, it's consciousness. The mind can't, the, excuse me, the pocketbook can't grow till the mind grows. Yep. And that's the number one law of wealth is knowledge. Prosperity begins in the mind, but ends in the purse. Unless you have a mindset, unless you're going to be an active participant in your wealth creation. Now, before you ask me that question, um, thanks, thanks to data analytics and the Federal Reserve, they came up with a new category for millionaires, and it's called micro-millionaires. And what is a micro-millionaire? You may not be able to see that one day, oh man, you're gonna go ahead and crack the code on seven figures, blah, blah, blah. But when you assay it down, when you assay millionaireship down, again, I asked them 118 questions, the one question, that came back, and I didn't have to perform multiple regression to get this answer. The one question that came back 99.9% .9 of the time, I asked them, I said, how old were you when you broke six figures? And 99.9% .9 of the time, they said by age 30. Wow. So I tell folks, be very particular where you are at age 30 because you might be there for the rest of your life. So thanks to data analytics and the Wall Street Journal and the Federal Reserve are doing the same thing. For white America, you may not be able to see that one day you're seven figures, but somewhere between the age of 35 and 42, 43, shoot for $250,000. And if you do that and you change nothing else, you will find yourself standing in a pool of liquid gold of seven figures or more. Now, why is that critical? Because I can see it walking up and down the streets of Petrie. Yes, here I am in Atlanta, Georgia. And what do we know about the demographics of African-Americans in Atlanta, Georgia? The average household income, black America here in Atlanta, Georgia, is about $45,000 a year, okay? Close to 35% of African-Americans here in Atlanta, Georgia, are either unbanked or non-banked or below banking. What in the world does that mean? That means they don't even use a financial, you know, they don't even use your bank or they don't even use a financial investment, whatever, for their financial or banking needs. That means to go to the post office, and, and I can tell you right now, Roland, even today, here we are in 2023, the number one bank of black America is Walmart. Mm. We still have, yes, we still haven't captured that. So we got some changes to make, but thankfully all the information is there and you can be, you can have, you can do if you're willing to put the time and effort in. Hold on one second. I'm going to go to a break. We come back. Uh, my panel, I know they got some questions. Can't wait to get in on this conversation. We're talking with Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, folks. We're talking about uh, the idea of wealth creation, what that really, really means. How do we attain that? Uh, and y'all heard me talk about this all the time. Because when you have that, then you also have that freedom uh, to be able to support our institutions uh, and to also be able to build and grow. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network.
it on the streets. A horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. An angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hello, we're the Critter Fixers. I'm Dr. Bernard Hodges. And I'm Dr. Terrence Ferguson. And you're tuned in to Roland Martin Unfiltered.
All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. We're talking about our segment. It's called Where's Our Money? We're talking with Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, uh, author, professor. Uh, books include uh, The Wealth Choice and Think and Grow Rich, a black choice among them. I got this one question before I go to the panel. Doc, you talked about uh, cars being owned. And I got a kick out of having this conversation with a brother I know. And, and, and he was just baffled. Um, because I remember when I ran, I, I go back to what, I, I actually put that conversation aside. When I ran the Houston Defender, ooh, we're talking 19, this is 2000. So this is 23 years ago. So it was a young brother on my staff. He was a graphic designer. He owned um, a Ford Explorer. So um, he, he gets a raise. Then he goes out and he buys a Ford Expedition. Now, he had already put in a sound system in the, in the Explorer. And so probably about six months after getting the Expedition, man, he was whining and complaining about the note on the Expedition. And I remember asking him, I said, I said, I'm curious. It's just you and your girlfriend. Why did you go buy an Expedition? And... He's like, well, you know, I wanted a bigger view. I said, but it's two of y'all. You had a Ford Explorer that was just perfectly fine. The reason I'm laughing at that because I bought my Lincoln Navigator, and the only reason I bought that because six of my nieces came to live with us, and I literally needed a bigger vehicle to carry eight people around. Bought, got a cashier's check the day I bought it off the lot. I said, I ain't paying no damn interest. Y'all go to hell. Um, Crossed the 200,000 mark last month. So I've had that. So it'll be this month, November, uh, it'll be, what, 15 years uh, since I got. That's the only car I've owned since 2008. My whole deal is I'm, I don't give a damn what nobody else think. I don't care about no Mercedes, no BMW, whatever. And it gets me to where I need to go. I think part, that's a different state of mind here he was, get, he got a raise, and he added more debt in his life when what he had was perfectly fine, and he's complaining six months later. I'm like, that make, that's illogical. That's not how millionaires think when it comes to their lifestyle. You're exactly right, and my research shows that uh, they pay cash, and they only go as far as their cash will take them. And when I say only go as far as their cash will take them, the cash that they have in their pocket at the time on many circumstances. During the course of my interviews, I've never uh, been in so many what I would call, I won't say raggedy cars, but old cars, talking to them, following them around, wherever they're going, work, handling their daily affairs and the like. And that's true across the board. Now, I'm not saying I haven't been in Mercedes and uh, nice Lexus cars and right. the like. But um, they, uh, you know what, they, they, they don't like being in debt. And outside Boom. of their mortgage, outside of the mortgage, less than $10,000 total debt and certainly less than $5,000 in credit card debt. Because one of the questions I asked, would you have difficulty paying an unexpected $5,000 bill? Of course, no. Would you have uh, any difficulty paying an unexpected $10,000 bill? No. How many times and who balances your checkbook over the course of the month? And that answer came back usually twice a week and nine times out of 10, if they were married, the wife handled the finances. So they're a different breed of cat and because, and because 
We don't have that much information about our wealth creators. We're left to our own guises to think how they really act and how they behave. And many a time, and many times, we're on the wrong track. Absolutely. So, and I, I, I like to say debt, I call it invisible shackles, uh, because it limits your ability to make certain decisions and to move and flow in a different way because you're constantly thinking about, I owe this private school tuition, I owe this, I owe this, I owe this, I owe this. And it's sort of, to me, it frees your mind to be able uh, to move freely because that's not holding and weighing you down. Uh, Pamela is waiting for some questions. Rebecca, you first. Um, thanks, Dr. Kimbrough, for being here tonight. Um, you mentioned Omaha, Nebraska and doing a panel there. I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. And what's interesting, mm -hmm. at one point, Omaha had more millionaires per capita than any other city um, in the United States. One of the benefits of growing up in that type of environment, I am used to seeing millionaires and the billionaires that are there who live a very quiet or simple life. Like they have lived in the same home, like you mentioned, for the last 20, 30 years. I'm thinking about Warren Buffett, who's lived in the same house. Um, I think he bought that house in the 60s. I'm used to seeing them drive around with pickup trucks and seeing um, them not being too good to go to Applebee's or to go to Cheesecake Factory if they're going out to eat. Otherwise, they're cooking at home. However, because of my work, I've spent a lot of time in black communities across the country and the majority of black communities. And one thing that I've noticed is that it appears that within our communities, we want the appearance of what we think it is to be wealthy versus the actual being wealthy. So how do we start to change that dynamic so folks understand it's not about what it looks like in our mind to be wealthy, but what it actually means to be wealthy? Great question, and I appreciate that, and thank you so much. Uh, yes, you're exactly right. Uh, and I've said it on a number of occasions that the individual looks like he's wealthy and has all the trappings of success. Uh, chances are not all the time, but chances are, no, they're not wealthy at all. So the fact of the matter is that, and you know, going back to Omaha, Nebraska, when I held that focus group, there were uh, car dealers in there, franchise owners um, that I had in that group and the like. But um, I, would, I was about to say something else, that, and, and I'll get back to a second in terms of millionaires, but this I definitely want to say, okay? Because we think of millionaires as when we see rap stars and we're looking at entertainers and we're looking at uh, individuals who we think got going on and the like. The average, million, the average black millionaire has a stealth mindset, completely, totally under the radar. Now, I'm not saying they don't get out there and have a good time, but when they do have a good time, they're around their peer group. Now, you ask the question, what causes that? I don't know, you might go to college and major in marketing, but the, we, know, we know something about the world of marketing. There are about five to seven different marketing or advertising type of behaviors that they use on individuals. Now, when you look at black America, the number one marketing or advertising behavior that they use when they're trying to lure African-Americans is recognition. Why? Because we've been, as a race, we've been starved for recognition. And if you close your eyes and you listen to the ad, you know the demographic that they're going after. Be the first on the block. Be the envy of the neighborhood. Call in, sign your name on the dotted line right now and be the talk of the town. Well, you know who they're going after. They're going after black America. 
When you look right now, there are 14 to 15 different sectors that make up the economy. Uh, education is a sector, healthcare is a sector, construction is a sector. But when you look at all these sectors and put them together, you have anywhere from a 17 to $19 trillion economy. When you look at beauty, and when you look at beauty, health and beauty aids in that sector, that's about a $700 billion. Health and beauty, it's about a $700 billion sector. Well, who is the number one uh, buyer or consumer of that sector? Well, black. it's black women. Black yeah. women are 6%, 6 to 7% of the population, but they're 24% of that sector. Now, I have no problem with that. I mean, I got three grown daughters, all married, all college educated, all mothers, all homeowners, and I got three granddaughters. So I believe me, I have no problem with that. But we have got to learn to do what every other group does, and that's leverage their consumer behavior. If East Indian women were buying on that particular level, if Jewish women were buying on that level, if Hispanic women were buying on that level, Wall Street would know it. Now, how would they know it? Well, I told you I teach at Clark Atlanta. So if we are number one in the beauty industry, a $700 billion industry, and we have some black hair care and black uh, cosmetic companies and blah, 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 well, they get less than 1% of the total. But if we are 6%, 7% of that industry or 24% in terms of consumer behavior, wouldn't you expect to see some Revlon scholars in my class? Mm. Wouldn't you expect to see some of the young ladies in my business seminar class on full ride L'Oreal scholars? Mm. Every other group does that. <laughs> Why not us? L'Oreal, Mac, keep going. Oh. Mm. You know, there's a carrot at the end of the stick. And they're reeling the carrot in based of our consumer behavior because the buying emotion is recognition. Boom. You know what? We, there's a book out there, Apocalypse Wonder Hill, Why People Buy. I bring in books all the time to my students. I said, all right, so you're a marketing concentration. You've got to buy this book. And what is the book? It's called The Go-Getter. Or you got it. It's called the Hit the Sweet Spot. All right, here I am. I teach at Clark Atlanta, only four miles from Coca-Cola. You go up on the 10th floor of Coca-Cola where all the executive vice presidents are, and you look in every office, and you'll see that book hit the sweet spot. Why? It's all about buying emotion. And the same thing occurs in terms of our consumer behavior. Now, you may not want to be an entrepreneur. You may know how to own a side hustle, whatever. But one aspect you cannot escape and that's consumer behavior, Boom. your credit score. So when it comes to you buying and your credit score, don't score, don't think of yourself as a consumer. Think of yourself as an investor. As an investor, look at your credit score as an investor. Why? Because the rich always pay less for their items and accessories. So you go into Best Buy, you go there and you see a flat screen and they got, you know, the nameplate, you know, how, what the price is on there. Pull them aside. I'm paying cash. What's the cash price? If they don't have the cash, if you did have a cash price, what would it be? How, what type of discount can I get? Why? Because they know and, and people know it's called in, in economics, it's called velocity. 
And Roland, what in the world is velocity? Okay, so I got a 17, I got an 18-year-old granddaughter who's a junior at Savannah State. She's a biology major. And I love her to death. And all my take, I try to help my grandkids out if they need a little blood change and this, that, and everything. But if I gave that child right now, and I said, here you go, here's a hundred dollars. In terms of velocity, that would have a quick effect on her lifestyle. But as her grandfather, and in terms of generational wealth, I got to school this child. So 10, 15, 20 years from now, if I gave her $1,000, it would have no effect on her bearing a lifestyle at all. Why? Because right now her velocity is fast. Mm. Look, you're in my global classroom this evening. You want, when it comes to wealth, you want your velocity to be slow. Scott! You don't want it to have a huge impact on your life. And now why do I say that, Roland? Because more than one half of my race, as soon as we get up in the morning, we got one goal and one goal only, to get through this day by any means necessary. Right. They are in complete survival mode. And we have got to change that behavior from a poverty mindset right. to a wealth generation mindset. Scott? Yeah. Hey, Doc. Um, love your research. Uh, quick question for you. Of, the, of your research of those black millionaires, right, how many inherited their wealth? How many gained it through real estate or entrepreneurship or multiple streams of income? And how many lost their millions and were able to generate it back? I know that's a multi oh, that, that is, Thank you. Yeah, that is a great question. That is a good, how many lost it and generated, but I don't have a number, but yes, I know during my research, here's the thing. All right, so I asked them 18, 118 questions survey more than a thousand simply because I wanted the data to be valid and I wanted it to be reliable. Number two, I told you I had the focus groups, but number three, I had more than 60 face-to-face -face interviews. And when I set out, I didn't want any athletes and I didn't want any entertainers. Not because I had anything against athletes or entertainers, but we were overrepresented in that yep. area. We knew information regarding those two demographics. I want to folks that folks that flew under the radar that we didn't know we didn't hear those stories and the like. Folks who didn't now, bounce who, who didn't bounce or catch anything. But obviously there was some there were some individuals I had to interview. I had to interview Steve Harvey. I had to interview Damon John. I had to interview Tyler Perry. I had to interview Kathy Hughes. I had to interview, I mean, so the, I spent a day with Kirk Franklin. I spent, um, I mean, the list can go on and on, folks who I had to simply because of being valid and reliable. And it was in those stories that they told me they had to make their wealth several times. Case yep. in point, yep. Kirk Franklin, okay? Yep. Case in point. Although I didn't interview Usher, his mother, Janetta Patton, came to my class and spoke to my students. So she told me, you know, the stories about that. These are folks who made, to answer your question, who made their earnings over and over again. Yeah, thank you. Robert. 
Uh, you know, I always love it when Clark Atlanta University is properly represented. Uh, we're I'm using the minority here, but it's absolutely outstanding to have you uh, in this uh, conversation. While the student at Clark, one of my economics professors said that money is spent in the light, but wealth is built in the darkness. He kind of, uh, you know, everybody in Atlanta all of a sudden wants to start a boutique or, uh, uh, you know, the next trending restaurant to be the next slutty vegan. Can you kind of talk about the, uh, the real way that wealth is generated in our community and the real types of businesses that... Uh, really grow and expand. I have someone who was a student with me at Clark Atlanta. They started a business where they uh, literally uh, picked up waste from restaurants and just took it to the landfill for them during hours that the city couldn't do it, et cetera. Dumpsters couldn't do it. He was a millionaire before 30 picking up garbage and trash, but that's not the shiny, bright object that gets you on a reality show on social media. So people don't really think about that. You can talk about the hard work in the industry that people don't think about uh, that actually leads to generational wealth. Good question. And and the reason why, because the millionaires who I surveyed and interviewed, they didn't see it. They didn't get in this game for the money. They got in the game as a labor of love. Yep. Something that they were completely engaged in. And that is the difference. Because I remember a couple of times in my focus groups, I asked the question, did you know the, the, the day or the week in which you crossed the seven-figure threshold? And no one can answer that question for me. Why? because their head was down and they were completely engaged in what they were doing at that particular time. Yep. So here, here's the key, here is the mindset, and these are the questions that you've got to ask yourself in this creator economy. Question number one, where have you been? Now, what do I mean by where have you been? If you are just getting the email now, you're 40, you're 50, you're 60 years old, you gotta account for your time. What in the world have you been doing? Do you know your area of excellence? And if you don't know your area of excellence, I need to know why you don't know your area of excellence. Why? Because you can't repeat the same behaviors over and over. Question number two, you know, why are you here? Well, that's a great question. We're all here to serve somebody. Service is the price you pay for the space that you occupy. And anybody can serve. And the bottom line is not, look, look, in terms of money is not the bottom line. I tell my students all the time, and they give me pushback and say, Dr. Kimbrough, you're the only person I know who writes books about wealth and this and money, but your books have nothing to do with money. No, money is not the bottom line. Well, what is the bottom line? Love is the bottom line. I don't care if you're working for a living, you're employed for a living, you love your job, you're going to get the parking space closest to the building. You love your coworkers, you're going to be manager in no time. You love, you know... You love your, your co-workers or you love your job or you're an entrepreneur and you love your customers, guess what? You're going to get more customers. Love is the bottom line. Number three, where are you going? Where are you going? In other words, do you know your area of excellence? And you've got to ask yourself three critical questions to uncover your area of excellence. What do you love to do? What do you have a passion for? What can you throw your whole heart and soul into? Yep. I remember when I was with John Johnson, I'm probably the last individual to interview the godfather of black entrepreneurship. I interviewed this man several times and there I am, 820 Michigan Avenue, up there in his office, sitting right across the desk while he's signing contracts, looking at makeups of new, you know, covers of Ebony and Jet magazines. And I said to him, 
I said, Mr. Johnson, if you weren't, you know, a magazine publisher and you weren't publishing Ebony magazine, what would you be doing? And he picks up a mock interview from an upcoming issue of a magazine and he goes just like this. I love magazines. I love the colors. I love the feel. I love the textures. How are you going to beat an individual like that? You can't. So what do you love to do? Question number two. If you know, if you weren't rewarded, if you weren't compensated for your work, what would you do for free? Now, I've been at Clark Atlanta close to 30 years. And I mean, when my wife was still with me, you know, even before we had direct deposit, the same way the dean would hand me the check, you know, I would place it in my wife's hand and blah, blah, blah. I never knew. Yeah, I had an idea in terms of my finances, but she was an accountant by trade and she took care of all the finances and this, that and everything. But I was I was engaged because that's what I was called to do. Right. You know, you know, so what do you love to do? If no one ever paid you a dime, if no one ever gave you financial reward for your efforts, what would you do for free? Because when you're doing what you love to do, when you do it for free, your work is your play. And if your work is your play, you'll never work a day in your life. Now, here we are in 2023, and what Generation Z has got to understand, instead of quiet quitting, this is, the, this is the gold standard that you've got to judge and gauge your career by. How many people have tried have called you and tried to lure you away from your present employer? Yep. I get phone calls, I get text messages, I get emails all the time. Dr. Kimbrough, you still a Clark Atlanta? Yeah, I'm still a Clark Atlanta. Oh, okay, we're just checking, blah, blah, blah. And last but not least, if you can't answer those two questions, go to somebody who you respect and admire and ask them, what do you see me as? What do you think I would be good at doing? Rolling. When I was a sophomore at the University of Oklahoma, you know what my frat brothers called me? They called me the professor. And I said to myself, man, what do you guys call me the professor? Kimbrough, you always got a book under your arm. If we can't find you on campus, we know that you're always in the library. Well, this is what I was called to do. There you go. And then last but not least, as Steve Jobs says, when are you going to poke a hole in the universe and prove you were here? Jobs says, don't build a business, build a movement. There you go. Build a movement. And what did Antonio Reed tell me? One half of Babyface, there I am. I spent a couple of days with him in the Bahamas. And he said to me, I said to him, I said, Antonio, what's the story about you going to Harvard and staying up at Harvard for 10 weeks and taking an executive management class? I said, if you and Babyface lived five lifetimes, you wouldn't spend all the money that you've earned over those five lifetimes. He said, well, the reason why I went up to Harvard is because everybody wants to get into the entertainment field, the music business, but number one, it is a business. And the moment that you cease to grow and develop, you begin to die. And then number two, he says, he says, look, and I put this on, I put this on a sign in my classroom. They just painted my classroom so they took the sign down. But Roland, the sign read, if you don't read, if you don't study, if you don't grow, if you don't develop, if you don't go to the seminars, the conferences, the workshops, if you don't sit in the front row, in the first seat, another student will. And the day that you meet that other student, you lose. So what in the world am I saying? You gotta take time to get the information in. Yep. Never forget, the bigger the house, the more books they have in the personal library. But the smaller the house, the bigger the television set. You gotta change <laughs> the narrative and change the behavior.
Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, always a pleasure, folks. One of his books, The Wealth Choice, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, and uh, we'll certainly have you back uh, because it all starts right here. Appreciate it, Frat. 06, love you, brother. All right, appreciate it. Folks, when we come back, we're going to talk with Isaac Hayes III. He is the founder of Fanbase. Uh, they're closing uh, this race. But also, why did LinkedIn kick him off of their platform for doing nothing? We'll explain next. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Show Network. When you talk about black pull up uh, and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is $RM Unfiltered. PayPal is rmartinunfiltered. Venmo is rmunfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Smart journalism. 
fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Farage Muhammad, live from L.A., and this is The Culture. The Culture is a two-way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, we're all in this together, so let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's The Culture, weekdays at 3, only on the Black Star Network. Hello, I'm Paula J. Parker. Judy Proud on The Proud Family. I am Tommy Davidson. I play Oscar on Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. Hi, I'm Joe Marie Payton, voice of Sugar Mama on Disney's Louder and Prouder, Disney Plus. And I'm with Roland Martin on Unfiltered. Massive amounts of wealth has been generated in the past uh, decade or so in the technology area. Isaac Hayes III, uh, the founder of Fanbase out of Atlanta, uh, joins us right now. They are in the final stages of uh, their raise to close out this period. But before I get to that, uh, I got to ask him this here. I saw you post this. At, the folks at LinkedIn have booted you from their platform for what? I'm back. I actually got back. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. What ha- What happened? I, the app went viral. R- rolling. Come on. The app went viral, and in the midst of this going viral, there was this little spat that was going on with Clubhouse. And right when that happened, I got kicked off the platform for a simple post that that I always post, which is updating the raise, the amount of money we've raised. So I think somebody was just trying to give me a little hiccup, but it took probably about six weeks to get back on there. So. Yeah, but you also were calling them out. Uh, and that, and and because you've been look, it's some other folk like Clubhouse been a little upset because you've been checking them, uh, and they're mad because you, you w- went on in a conver- on their platform uh, talking about fan base, like other people don't go on Clubhouse talking about their stuff, and like Clubhouse not on other social media platforms touting their app. Absolutely, um, it's a competitive space, and I understand that. Um, a lot of people are going to look to see, you know, if 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 fan base, uh, you know, continues to to dominate in the way it's been dominating. And I say this like we're not going anywhere. Um, we're growing. The app has over half a million users now rolling. Um, we are worldwide um, and we are we are getting ready to close this raise. The most important thing that I want to tell people too right now in in competition is that. Um, what I'm doing with equity crowdfunding has never been heard of before. No one has ever raised $10 million in Reg CF crowdfunding ever. I'm the first black man to do that. Um, and that's an accomplishment. And it's really giving the opportunity for the users and anybody that's watching your program right now to actually own a platform that's gone from a $20 million valuation 
to a $50 million valuation to an $85 million valuation last year. So um, that's why this is this is all uh, an issue. It's very disruptive. We are closing this final round on Start Engine in five days. Um, so five days is your last chance to invest in fan base before we close this round and go to Series A, and the value of the company is going to increase significantly because we've had an amazing year. We've had a record year um, in growth. And so uh, get ready. But I tell everybody to go to the startengine.com and invest. The minimum to invest is $245. And I think about that, you know, the people watching this program right now could close this raise um, today, right? So, so let me explain to the people who are watching. When you invest now, you invest in fan base now, and then it yeah. grows to $100 million, $250 million, $500 million valuation, a uh, $1 billion. That means that your initial $246 that the value let's say let's say that's one share the value of that that also grows and so that what you pay for $246 could be double that or triple that or five times that depending upon the valuation depending upon it going public depending upon it being sold well look let me tell you something I posted a post today about um Oren Michaels. And I talk about Oren Michaels every time I'm on your program. Oren Michaels put $5,000 into Uber in 2010. When the company went public in 2019, his $5,000 was worth $25 million. That is a 5,000x return. That means for every dollar he put in, he got $5,000 back. And so to imagine being able to put that type of capital into a company and, and for that to happen on Fanbase, Fanbase would have to go from a $20 million company to a $100 billion company. Now, let me remind you, the market cap of Facebook right now is currently $800 billion. So I'm not even thinking about, you know, getting as large as Facebook or Instagram's market cap or TikTok's market cap is like four or 500 billion. I'm talking about a $100 billion social media platform that you have a chance to invest in at the very, very beginning. I ask everybody, if you could have invested in Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat when you first heard about it for $245, would you? Yes. The answer is you didn't hear about it because it was illegal and nobody wanted you to know because they want the wealthy investors to have the best opportunity to invest in these startups over people like you, me, anybody that's watching that just wants to put their money into something other than gambling and lottery tickets and BS, right? And so um, Dr. Kimbrough got me pumped up. I was I was listening the whole time because he was talking about building movements. He, yep. That's when he when he mentioned Steve Jobs. I'm talking about building a movement. Fan base is a movement. It is a platform that is founded in the belief of building community and allowing anybody that wants to monetize their content to monetize their content. So that's what I tell everybody. So this guy dropped put five grand into Uber. Yeah, look it up. He put five grand into Uber. And that five grand later turned to 25 million. Yep, nine years later. And he was already a millionaire, though. But he was already a millionaire. And Rolling, you, you and I know people with $5,000. Heck, we know people with $500, right? If 10 people put $500 into Uber and it turned into $2.5 million, would you have done that? Hell yeah. Exactly. But, but, this is, but this is the reason we're doing this segment is because. What, what I'm trying to, the reason, and also why we had Dennis Kimber on, I'm trying to get folks to change the mindset because if the people who are watching step back and ask themselves, what 
have I spent $246 on? And mm -hmm. not necessarily I spent $246 one time. It's like when I had my nieces in the car and we were leaving church and they were like, uh, Uncle Roro, where we going to eat? I'm like, uh, we taking our ass home. And I'm like, it's six of y'all. Uh, well, normally when we, you know, at the church, on Jackie, we go out to eat. I'm like, no, we ain't doing that. I said, because she ain't here. It was one of the rare weekends I was in town, and I had to walk them through. I said, Let, so I, I was doing math. I said, okay, if the seven of us go out, and the average, average uh, on, uh, meal for each person is going to be $25, how much is that? I said, plus the 15% tip, how much is that? I said, multiply that times four times 12. That's how much money we spend going out to eat. Your ass has got tutors, you got individual computers, you got all this sort of stuff. I, I walked them through. And I think for a lot of us, we don't step back and say, but wait a minute, if I spent $50 on five, five different times eating, that's the $246 you're talking about for a fan base. Absolutely, and more, more than that, there are users that have used Fanbase since its inception and have already made their money back by using the app. They've already made there's user there's there's one user that has made that has invested in Fanbase, but has already made ten thousand dollars in revenue from monetizing their content. They put two hundred and forty five dollars in, but they've made ten thousand dollars by simply using the app. And, so and they only, still own it. They so if anything that investment still grows, so they're making money twice. Yeah, because they're making money on the front end, and then their equity is growing on the back end. Uh, Rebecca, question? Thanks so much for being here again tonight. Um, I just got the email the other day that you're looking for your investors to approve authorization to increase um, future Class B shares um, yep. for the common stock. Um, are you looking to go into, like, a fourth round of investment? Yes. So, so that share increase is so that so many people want to invest in this final round that we actually have to increase the share amount to accept the dollars for this final round. And so we're about to we're about to go ahead and make that um, approval. But yes, yeah, Series A is next. For companies to scale like Fanbase, we need to raise tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars to scale these companies. You know, um, take for instance Clubhouse, and I think that's an example. Clubhouse raised three hundred million dollars. Like, think about that app or or. Patreon is another platform there, and they're, they're not even a household name. They've raised $300 million and are valued at $3 billion, right? And so fan bases combine all of these, these, these tools and these sets with monetization and then the ability for people to invest. And right now, once we complete this raise, the total amount of money that I've raised will be $10 million. So when you think about $350, I was like, you know what I would do with $350 million? Like, we're making the most happen with the least over at this company in a way that is is remarkable and always goes out to the tech team. I have to shout out Ramiro and the development team because, you know, we're taking all these functionalities and then in real time watching all these other companies copy what we do. The, the, the good fortune is they can't pivot in our lane because 97% of Facebook's income comes from advertising. We are not built on advertising. So for them to flip a switch and say, we're going to go to subscriptions, and everybody watching right now, how often have you heard people talk about subscriptions in the last three or four years? You never heard people talk about subscriptions. Dog, everybody. I, I bought like Filmic Pro, uh, Adobe. You, there are now apps that used to be free. Everybody, hell, re, 
The car wash got dude. I, the car wash got monthly subscriptions. There are restaurants that are literally now charging a monthly subscription. Yes, and and that and, and subscriptions are the future. It's recurring, predictable revenue, right? Yep. But when you take that to individuals like you and I that can monetize their health, their health content, their cooking content, their financial content, their comedy. They're dancing, they're acting, they're singing, their love for sports, their passions, right? And turn these into businesses. Like we know the average American salary is between forty and sixty thousand dollars a year, right? But again, I say five thousand people, right? Five thousand people paying you two dollars and fifty cents a month is twelve thousand five hundred dollars a month. That's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. That's more than ninety-seven percent of Americans. So the money is there. It's not in your following, which all these platforms want you to have a large following so you make content so they can run ads. The money is in your subscriber base. And so um, us saying, look, go to startengine.com slash fan base, buy some shares in fan base, then, then download the app and use it, and, uh, and then watch your money grow. Because, again, the valuation of fan base, and I'm just being candid, the valuation of fan base was $85 million over one year ago. That is before we had... A, a, a user spike of 100 plus thousand users in 60 days. Our MAU is up, you know, four or five hundred percent. I fully expect that the valuation of fan base um, when we do Series A to be double what it is now, close to double what it is now. And so that means for every dollar that you put in, you know, four or five months from now, it would have been worth more to do it today. You have to put in two to match what you would have put in today. And so that's why I'm telling everybody. Um, to invest and be part of these movements, man. This is this is a movement. This is unheard of. Like again, there the you last go. social media app that was black founded, that was this successful, was Black Planet, and that came out in 2000. It's 2023. We've gone 23 years mm. on another platform really breaking through. And and to make that even more important, there have been tons of people that could have built apps and haven't because this is very very hard. And so this is a special moment for us because this is an opportunity for all the culture that we give, all the creativity that we give, all the things like think about this real quick. Think about all of the impressions and content that have been created just off Keith Lee coming to Atlanta and going out to eat. Yep. Think of somebody saying, oh, Cheesecake Factory is not good enough. Like, but nobody owns these platforms where all this content is being made or all these advertisements, all this engagement is going. That money is going in the pockets of people that don't look like us. And we're the ones making the platform value. But not, nobody at the top looks like us. And, and, and let so, me say, and, and let me, right, and let me say this how, how some people just say some stupid stuff. Like this sports actuary filter, just say it on our YouTube chat. He goes, Roland, what you're doing is not fair. Hindsight is 2020. For each success story similar to Facebook or Uber, there are a thousand in which the investors never received a penny of their investment. Well, guess what? It's a whole bunch of y'all who spend money every damn day buying Nike, Adidas, Puma, and you making them rich, and all you doing is walking around talking about you got the latest pair of Air Jordans and LeBrons. It's a whole bunch of us walking around every day touting our BMWs and Mercedes, and we making them rich, and all you do is have high-ass interest. So that's a dumb-ass comment to make, because part of the problem right here is for everything is a risk. 
It's all a risk. And a bunch of folk take their ass to casinos every damn day or they go into the convenience store and buy a damn lottery ticket. And you know what that is? It's a damn risk. And so, and, 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 and the likelihood of you earning anything back is null and void. And so I don't give a damn what you got to say, sports actuary. It's real fair because black people have got to start teaching black people to invest in ourselves, invest in things like fan base, so we are not constantly being consumers and we actually own something. Isaac, final comment. Let me let me respond to the let me respond to that that comment. Right. Um, think about this. Number one, when you when when there's limited risk when you do equity crowdfunding, meaning no one's telling you to put your pension or your life savings, right? These are small investments. Now you can invest up to a hundred thousand dollars at one time in a round, right? That's the max. The minimum is two hundred and forty-five dollars. So you think about two hundred and forty-five dollars. That's a bit different. That's the price of a pair of shoes. That's steak dinner. That's going out with your friends. I think if you, I think you could probably not even remember the last time you spent two hundred and forty-five dollars five times in a row over the over the course of the year, because that's how often we're spending money. And so here's something else: by buying Nike or by buying lottery tickets, you can't increase the value of your winnings at all. You can't increase the value of your shoes by wearing your shoes. By investing in fan base and then coming to fan base and using it with the other half a million people that use it now, then you're increasing the value of the asset you own because the users are what make the social media platforms valuable. If everybody left all these, like this is this is real talk. If everybody left Facebook today, Facebook will be worth zero dollars and zero cents. If everybody left Instagram today, it would be worth zero dollars and zero cents. And so my point is, is that the same power that we have collectively that we give away for free on social media, we should we can also apply that to platforms that are free to use. It doesn't cost anything to use fan base. You can monetize and you can own a part of it. So there's limited risk. And I don't I don't want somebody to say like people have lost their investments. People lose two hundred fifty dollars, like I said, playing the slot machine or whatever or gambling. So. Or staying in a, a hotel room. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. At the mini bar. Like so go to startengine.com, because I, I and I'm stressing this the most, startengine.com slash fanbase and invest now. This raise closes in five days. After that, you won't be able to invest anymore. It's gonna be over with. We're gonna close this round and we're moving on to series A. And so we want people to be part of this movement. I want everybody listening and watching who sees this to be part of this movement, invest now. This is your last chance before we go to Series A. And when we go to Series A, that's when the big investors come in, where the people that are like Orrin Michaels come in and they do put their capital in the platform. And then you're like, well, wait, how come I can't get in now? Because you had your chance today. And there I you go. And then, go ahead. There you go. Isaac, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, uh, that is it for us. Tomorrow, I'll be broadcasting live in Richmond, Virginia, from the campus of Virginia Union University. Y'all better have some swag there waiting on me. Oh, I'm wearing my own stuff. Uh, we're going to be in the uh, Alex B. James Chapel at Colburn Hall. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, want folks to come on out, pack the joint out. We're going to be talking about the Virginia elections and the impact on African Americans. As we speak, y'all, 
Right now, there is a debate, the only debate going on in the Mississippi gubernatorial race between Brandon Presley and Republican Tate Reeves. Reeves has been running from Presley uh, for the longest. It is a tight race. Uh, it is neck and neck. And so uh, let's sit here and do what we can to get Tate Reeves out. He ain't done a damn thing for Jackson, Mississippi. He ain't done a damn thing for HBCUs. Uh, and so let's throw him. He damn sure hasn't done anything for Medicaid expansion uh, that's health is needed in Mississippi. And so he needs to go. And so you can go check out, uh, is it WPAT or BAT? It's WAPT-TV. It's a one-hour debate. It started uh, at uh, the top of the hour. It's been going on for 26 minutes. All right, folks, that's it. I'm going to see you all tomorrow live from Richmond, Virginia, right here. Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Holla! Folks, Black Star Network is here. A real um, revolutionary right now. Right. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. I thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome.